BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Gather round, Colony fans, because it's time for another episode of Colony, the official podcast. I'm your host, Tara Bennett, a contributing editor for Sci-Fi Wire. Each week, we're breaking down the latest episode of USA's Colony in a spoiler-filled conversation with creatives and cast from the show. This week, we welcome back co-creator and executive producer Ryan Condal. Hello. Co-executive producer Wes Took. Hello. And joining us for the first time is Adrian Pazdar, who plays Nolan Burgess. Hello, sir. Good to be here. And Lindsay, the creepiest tutor recruiter ever, Erin Way. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we practically have a cult meeting today, right? Like, okay. are there dues or boxes I need to look it's at this week in order the to perform day this? Yeah. We'll get into the episode specifics uh, in a minute, but let's talk about our greatest day believers that we have with us today and their character arcs. Adrian, let's talk about Nolan. And do you believe that he believes in what the raps are dishing out, or if it's more of an opportunistic kind of belief? Uh, I think, as written, Ryan, you'd have to agree that there's a moral liquidity to his behavior. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Uh, I, I just episode title. I just think he kind of. Wants to err on the side that's winning for the most part. Uh, whether he believes or not, when you're dealing with religion in terms of um, no atheists in a foxhole kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you can collect believers based on fear. I think that was one of the motivating elements for he and Maddie's relationship. You know, everyone is a hero of their own story. No one believes that he's the hero of the story and that he is following the right path and he's saving a block that is in trouble and he's looking, yeah. he may genuinely have feelings for Maddie. Like all these things are convincing because Adrian is, in, you know, so brilliantly interpreting this character as someone who fundamentally believes these things and that's why we, I think we buy into him. It's not, he's not a stock villain because he has his own dreams, desires, goals. Yeah, not at all. I, I don't ever look at Nolan as a villain. I'm always just trying to figure out, hmm, what's he doing in this particular situation to take advantage or keep himself alive a little bit well, longer I mean, I brought in the situation. That to, I think my career is pretty much predicated on the perceived utility that I'm the bad guy that makes the good guy look even better kind mm-hmm. of thing like that. Walt Disney said it himself. The show's only as good as the bad guy is bad or whatever. That is true. Absolutely. So if I can create an environment where there may be some distrust and it was so brilliantly written this year, everything we did, and last year, the whole show. I never knew where it was going to go. Maddie seems to have captured Nolan's heart since they met in season one. But would you say, is he genuinely smitten with her? You know, I think that's a cool question, because I think initially he might have perceived her as a an element that could further his integration into what he wanted to make his. But I think over the course of it, there was a genuine relationship. Aaron? <laughs> Let's shift to you with that. Um, I think we can say that there's no doubt that Lindsay is all in with the greatest day and what her choices have been in terms of the cause. I guess maybe it's less likely whether or not she hates baseball or is it just Charlie that she hates in particular? <laughs> yeah, ooh, yeah. I'm going to guess it's the kid. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think by our interactions, um, Lindsay's she's had parents it. were killed by baseball. <laughs> <laughs> It's part of the backstory. It's PTSD. I can clearly see it. The the bio that Wes gave you, 
on your first day. Five-page bio. Yeah. She parents killed by stray baseball. I literally love how much Lindsay practically vibrates with hate, with how much Charlie is pushing her. Yeah. It's um, when you were looking at how to play that relationship with, which should be this sweet little kid. (laughs) Only Lindsay can hate him that much. Um, In real life. Uh, Yeah, I mean, she's she's wound a little tight. Mm -hmm. So... It's one of those cases where, you know, you touch on something, Adrian, that's very behind Lindsay, which is that fear plays a huge factor in people being recruited for certain organizations that exist fictionally and non-fictionally. And I think the world of Colony is very scary for a lot of people. We don't know much about her history. However, she does seem to be pretty, she doesn't seem to have ties with a lot besides the greatest day. Right. So um, that is open for whatever interpretation you want. It'd be great if it was a scene between us where we had some sort of commiseration between some sort of, you know what I mean? Like a little bit of this. (laughs) I mean, it could. It could happen. So I think if you don't have a lot to lose, you kind of go all in and it usually is in the form of the most structure and the most control. And that's kind of what she has clearly latched onto. So anything that pulls at the string is liable to cause a complete mental breakdown. Um, And Charlie is just slowly like, and it doesn't take much. I mean, it really doesn't take very much. And I don't think she really cares about him. It's more that he's getting in the way of her recruitment of Isabella's character and kind of for Lindsay she's found a, um, she thinks she's found a very viable candidate. Yeah, Gracie's a pure vessel. Uh, yeah, and, and, she's... and she's in a troubled home mm-hmm. and so she's the classic cult bait. Yeah. So um, I think it's that I feel like he's getting in the way of my progress with Gracie and that is very frustrating. Let's talk a little bit. I want to ask Ryan about, you know, Aaron has made Lindsay so fun to watch since season one, being this kind of specter. Did that expand in the writer's room, what you guys felt? Because that's what happens. You guys get inspired when you see what's coming back in rushes and stuff, and you're like, we need a little more of that Lindsay Lindsay Cuckoo going on in the background. I I will say that on uh, Aaron's special skills list on her resume, it did say specter. And we were very curious (laughs) what that that meant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you know, gymnastics. Every actor, I've made a Western. I've learned that every actor can ride a horse. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Sliding off the side. Podcast for another day. But yes, I mean, you know, this is a great example of you're making weekly television. You are under the gun in every case, including casting. You don't have a lot of time to make a decision. The casting department puts reels and sides in front of you and it was a great example of like we watched all the sides and we were kind of like okay yeah maybe and then Aaron's audition came up and we we're like yep that's her and it was just they were like I think we all three of us Carlton West and I were watching it together and we just started pointing at the screen and we cast her and we were very excited and then saw like the dailies from the first day and we we're like holy shit we hit the jackpot here and then we were just from episode to episode, we had already written most of the season, yeah. so there wasn't much to do and adjust. But we were just delighted. Every time, you know, in these small moments, every time Lindsay came on the screen in the first season, we were just, we just really enjoyed it. Uh, there was not a lot of humor in the first season of Colony. No, and, and it was just the perfect addition to a little spike of weirdness yeah. to the show. So when we came to season two, the lesson of television is when you find great actors that join your show, yeah. I'm gesturing at the two great actors mm-hmm. that we have in the room with us today, you write for them. And it was just 
the minute Charlie came home, it was just like, of course, of course, there's going to be a conflict. Now, Katie's a little less patient with what's going on because she's realized, obviously, what's happening, but she's under pressure because she needs to keep up appearances. It was the great pressure cooker, and Lindsay was, like, right at the center of it. And then we burned her book. (laughs) (laughs) My book! (laughs) So great. So great. Basically, anytime you can have a scene where you can play as a dramatic scene in a family and there's a lot of conflict, you can drop in Lindsay, who's essentially a bomb. And she's so primly self-contained, so the menace that she's presenting is under these layers. So it, it fits into the family dynamic because yeah. it feels so domestic in a weird way. Yet there's also this thought of, like, what is the horrifying thing she's going to do? And you're just kind of waiting for it to happen. And the fact that she hasn't really dropped yet only makes it more terrifying intuitively. <laughs> and was that your approach, Aaron? You know, when you get the episodes and you have a contained scene, you know, is there a guilelessness that you were approaching with Lindsay or a little bit of menace? Well, I thought it was very exciting at the end of season one when she popped back up mm-hmm. in the green zone because that immediately yeah. told me like, okay, great. So if we come back in season two, she's now been promoted. And what is that going to do to Lindsay's kind of confidence and how much she pushes the envelope and pushes Katie and and that sort of thing. So that was really fun to play, um, that trajectory through the season, which was she's a little little more ballsy maybe Mm -hmm. than she was because she feels like she has the protection of higher-ups. Yeah. But I always feel like it's much more menacing if somebody just is slightly unflappable. Yeah. And so I try not to play too many layers visibly because I thought it was way more disconcerting that she seemed totally unfazed and managed to still hold the demeanor, that perfect, prim, greatest day, everything is awesome, positive demeanor, which you can find in a plethora of uh, different organizations that brainwash. So it's... It's super creepy. Broadcast mm-hmm. television. Yeah. <laughs> Fox News. Um, like, pretty much anywhere. So anybody that's just like, you're like, where are you a human being? Are you a robot? Maybe she's a robot. I don't, maybe she's an alien. Like, it leaves the hole that much bigger for people to kind of put their own theories in. Yeah. It was fun to play with the different directors just to where and how subtly to kind of show if she would get upset. And how quickly she popped out of it. Yeah. You know, that was really a fun line to walk because you didn't want to do it too much because then you'd be like, oh, they're getting the Lindsay. The book burning sequence was very important because it was the only time she really lost her shit. So to play with, like, does she fall in a heap on the floor just (laughs) sobbing? Or does she just kind of, like, just lose her prim, proper demeanor for a second? And that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. It is. Getting to see a little bit of that unflappable, all of a sudden... Just because of a book. A book, exactly. Is... A big key. It's so much power to Charlie, too. You know, Charlie walks away from that going, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. now I know what I can I do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of, the, one of the great silent moments of the season is that little smile that he gives to his mother after that moment. Yeah, so, then, so good. And then watching Sarah play the role of so, so proud of her son, but so horrified by, <laughs> exactly. oh, my God, what you know, what's really happened to this kid. And just... Seeing her work through all those things in that little moment is just, uh, there's a little it is a great moment. Quiet moments yeah. that. Jake's work is so fantastic. He's, yeah. he's so good. He eats a meat and potato chip also, and others. He does. He does. <laughs> His sarcastic chomp of the Pringles knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We put that in Sorry, parenthetically. Yeah. Sarcastic. <laughs> the of potato yeah. Chip. <laughs> Pringles knockoff. Yeah. We well, won't be able to clear Pringles, so. Yes. That's right. That's yeah, we'll do we'll off, brand. off brand. Totally Just as an aside, dear Pringles, what's the deal with the can? <laughs> 
Because when I get finished, I can't get to the and then how do you? No, it's it's almost yeah. like he's waiting for your hand to be stuck in there forever. Can't his hand no, in the it's always a cat with a head in a box. Ones. You just you walk around with it, and then you're yeah. and then you end up with anyway. Yeah, it, no. I'd like to apologize to our sponsor, Pringles. Like Pringles, Pringles, just cut their sponsor. Terrible dissing of your product. Right, is that Nabisco? We're done. Well, let's let's not have a thirteenth episode next year. There you go, because of Pringle, the Pringle Gate. That's we're gonna call it from now on. Clearly, most of my stuff's gonna get cut. Yeah. So yes. let's talk about the rap pods because that does come into mm-hmm. uh, the belief system of both Nolan and lovely Lindsay. In a previous episode, we got to see Nolan get very, very interested in what was in that warehouse that Snyder's, mm-hmm. um, you know, protecting. And uh, surprise, what was inside of those boxes when you were playing those scenes? Were you playing it as informational leverage, or whether it's, you know, if I'm going to say I'm kind of behind this religion or, or let myself move towards it, I better see something because my faith isn't going to take me all the way. i got to see what's inside the boxes. Well, that's a terrific question, and a better actor uh, could probably give you a wonderful answer. All I was trying to do was get the box open, open. <laughs> and then be able to shut it because we had more takes to do, and the nails kept, you know, so I just had the... And then the, at the end, the thing was hanging on like my. You could have breathed on it. Oh, it no, no, you got to make it look like you're oh. struggling to get it open. So when we finally made that work, um, take fifteen or whatever, um, both Peter and I were very happy and pleased with ourselves. And I think that that shows. And that was a hallelujah moment. <laughs> just there watching a couple of hacks trying to make it to their marks and say the lines. You're not really like. I love the depth of your question. I wish I could respond. It's, it's all about Carmars. I feel you. That's yeah. good. Well, then I'll ask these guys. Yeah. You know, Peter in, called in, me later and said, I went to Juilliard to act, <laughs> not to open crates. Well, in this episode, we get a different view of what's inside those crates. When... John Houseman going, the theater needs you. I'm going off to sell Volvo. You know? <laughs> that's like, you know, bookkeeping gives rise to the script at a certain point. You know, you just have to make it. I yeah, just yeah. tried to tell them it was an object exercise. There you so. go. Yeah, that's it. That's what we incorporate. Of course, very often in this show or any other show where you're dealing with special effects, you're staring at something that isn't there. That isn't there, exactly. So you get that. <laughs> Like last night, was it last night? Last night's Adrian episode? Adrian is staring blankly into space. Tonight's episode, tonight's episode, when everybody's looking at the spaceship blowing up, clearly there's not a real spaceship no. blowing up. It's a guy with like a piece of bait on a fishing wire 20 feet away dangling it, and you're going, oh, look oh, at that. Wow, look at that. that a sea urchin? What is that? Going, you know, kaboom, blammo. Right, well, yeah. Exactly right. You're all, so we're all trying to look fascinated, but then as an actor, and we're all clearly over the age of, um, you know, 20. we're not 20. We've all done this before, and we've all seen it go very bad. But it's funny to look at all the actors. Actually, Josh had it best. This Josh's reaction, because he moved while he gave the look. If you see it tonight's episode, he's going... Adrian's turning his head. He's turning? I'm turning my body to the source while my head's... And that's that sells it the best. Yeah. Of course, I was standing there going... It's the model. It's the model turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just back to his and group. he's an ambi turner, so yeah. he can go left oh, or right. Oh, that's an modeling turn. Yeah. Anybody who's watched Zoolander will understand. He can go Podcast left gets or more enriching right. every week. I had no idea. Yeah, Josh can do it all. I'm gonna hit that next time I take an ambi turner. That's a that's, that's, on, that's on the that's bottom on of his resume. Exactly. And I'm sure that he actually turned left and right, and they just had to choose a take. Which one's better? I don't know. Clockwise, counterclockwise. Josh has the best. Best reaction to the thing blowing up tonight. The rest of us look like we're looking at an X on a C stand. <laughs> <laughs> 
You'll see. You'll see. And Josh knew exactly what he was doing, too. He honed it and lost. Well, let's talk about what Maya and Bram see when they open the wooden crate. We get quite the reveal of a woman inside, and she's coughing up some ecto-cooler on the ground there. Tell me a little bit about how you guys figured out when to show something that big. Well, you write all of your good ideas for the season on a chip. There you, you go. Put them into a box in the middle of the table and you just wild shake it up. And then that kind of fill out in episode seven. Oh, that's so. good. That's, I like that where that chip landed. That's We're pretty just good. Bursting all the bubbles. Oh, yeah. Was it always <laughs> green? Was it always that green? Wall. Um, <laughs> was it green? Most of us aren't going to barf up something quite that green, so that's Make letting us know good. there's something out of the ordinary about her. I'm totally colorblind, so I just <laughs> went to the dictionary and. Uh, guest, right? Yeah. Green, green sounds good. It's, it looks like good, color, right? right? I'm wearing green today, so <laughs> yes. in honor of the... Wes thought it was actually green. purple up until... Just now. Oops. It was green, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a part of it, that's obviously the challenge in the science fiction show, is how do you balance people's desire to know more about the world and satisfy that in a rewarding way without giving up the ghost and leaving right. a sense of mystery. And especially when you're doing as much world building as we are, and you're trying to view it from a perspective not of the more omnipotent science fiction perspective, more of a grounded, our characters are learning on the fly. So as soon as we put Bram in that camp, you knew that something had to come out of there, that there had to be a revelation. And that being in that camp was going to give us access to stuff we wouldn't have in the block. So, you know, you start with the what could actually be happening there? What could they be shipping up? What is, and how can this tie into some of the stories mythologically we're telling in the block itself? I think it's important for everyone to have their own theories on what exactly is happening, but the idea was to start to set a bunch of clues in motion so people can start to piece for themselves together what is actually happening behind the scenes. And it be kind of, you don't want the audience ahead of the characters or the characters ahead of the audience at any point in the show. That kind of pops the storytelling bubble right. for a show like this. So this is midpoint of the season. You felt like it's kind of time for yeah. people to know more. Definitely. Um, Maya sacrifices herself this week. This hand manipulation tactic of women preying on lonely men. We had talked a little bit in the last episode about whether she was using Bram or not, and this episode we really get to see that this is modus operandi for how they're moving along with getting lonely men to kind of do their bidding or whatever they need, the resistance kind of needs. Was that from something that you guys had seen and uh, when you were looking at actual history to kind of pull that in, or is this just something that... Um, so it's you, just you, human nature. Just human nature, <laughs> and exactly, of, of doing what you need to do when the war is, uh, is, is, is requires it. Our high school experience is really right. <laughs> right. I was going to say, it's how Wes and I were both lured into writing. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Very good. Nice. Very good. I hope our wives are listening. <laughs> it's not the wives. It's the former girlfriends. The yeah, wives well, are perfect. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Exactly. Uh, no, I mean, we're very interested in the concept of the angry young man. And, and we, with the extremism that's going on, uh, the fundamentalism that's going on in the world yeah. uh, today, I mean, a lot of these places are with repressive societies and men who don't have any opportunity in the world and have a bunch of testosterone pumping through their veins and they don't have any outlet for it. And that makes them very susceptible to be co-opted by these ideologies because the 18 year old wants to pick up a club and hit things. I mean, it's just, it's in our blood and in our DNA. And we wanted to figure out a way to dramatize that in such a way. A, we did it through one of our main characters that we've gotten to know. So we play this long arc of seeing the attempted radicalization of a young boy. Um, Bram is obviously a much different character this season than it was in yeah, season, one. season one. Yeah. 
and dramatize in a very real way how an actual movement like this would work. And in all likelihood, if there was to be an anarchist movement that came up on the ground level here in L.A. to fight back an occupation, it would be made up of young people. Yeah. So that was always the intent and the emotional arc that this episode is meant to take the viewer through is seeing that teaser, the disconnected teaser, and seeing Frankie's characters played wonderfully by uh, Lyndon Smith, and then having the audience go through that slow realization of horror when they see Maya take out the very same uh, toasting glass and do the same toast with Bram. Like, Bram has no idea what he's in for. Not only has he been manipulated, but he has... He doesn't even know anything about this organization. Nothing about it. Yeah, exactly. As we learned from a certain article that was written about our show, we're accidentally the most relevant show in television. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, you and I just taking shots in the dark and everything kind of lines up and works out. It It makes it seem almost like it was planned. Well, miracle that. There you go. You guys wing it, right? You just just, the whole thing. Um, In our underwear. we'll, We'll bring in Frankie back into it and then pulling that into Will. You know, Will... In this episode, going into that house and and getting all of the Red Hand members out, he really gets to look at how Burke is ferreting out these people, and it's sadistic and it's awful. And then when he watches what Frankie has to go through with the torture and take a suicide pill to get out of the horror, you really watch that and understand when Katie comes to him at the end saying that Broussard wants her back, uh, you get that if he sticks with what he's been doing, he's really going to hate himself more and more. Yeah, Ryan always had this clear conception of the show is, you know, what what would happen if you took, you know, this blonde guy we all love from Lost and made him work for the Nazis? And it's a really interesting question. And what, what I like about this episode is you get to see the different layers of that, too, that there's... So for Will, who's suddenly on the ground working under this regime, he comes face-to-face with these horrors, whereas Adrian's character, who has a layer between him and what's actually happening on the ground, you can yeah. delude yourself into believing that you're doing good. So you know, where you are in this kind of hierarchy of this power structure... You know, Lindsay can very easily tell herself that she's trying to save children. Like, there are very convenient justifications for a lot of people, and it's only the people on the very front line, which in this case is Will, who get to see exactly horrors of it. And then the question for him as a main character is, what do you do about it? And as kind of a mid-season question, that's a good one to be asking of your hero. Where are you gonna Where are you gonna go from here? Can you? How long can you stomach this? We felt like in season one, because we wanted to show to dramatize a a collaboration movement with that version of the special police that was made up of good people who were trying simply just to keep law and order, knowing that we are the front line. And if we fail, Bob and Dan and, you know... Not Bob. <laughs> yeah. Not Bob. Yeah. Oh, Come on, Bob. man. And, uh, and Nolan... Dan, and Dan, Larry, and Fred, but not Bob. <laughs> Those, those are the guys. Those are guys. Yeah, that's that's Sorry. episode eleven. Um, those are the guys standing behind the line, waiting to take our place, and they do fail in season one. So now that now the question was, Will goes off on this adventure. He saves his son. He comes back, and his instinct is, I can go back in and manipulate this place the way I did before. But what we wanted to do is actually force Will to go work with. You're now the only non-Nazi yeah. at work. And, like, how are you going to navigate that world? Especially knowing that your wife is the unknown member of the most wanted resistance cell in the block. Currently. Yeah. And it's a, it's a horrible position to be put in. And he's obviously under incredible pressure and has to make a choice. And this is the first step towards that at the end of this episode. And it's interesting with Lindsay and with Nolan... You guys have to find a place where you get your characters, at least an angle, so that you can play them. Do you respect the position that both of your characters have taken in this new world order? 
Do I respect the position? Absolutely. I mean, I think I have to, otherwise I have no basis. Either that or I'm playing against it. I, I think that what I can offer to this show in terms of uh, Cutaway, because it's a B story mm-hmm. in the end. It's one of those things that supports the main. But if there's an element of insight and observation into what it is not to be a part of the resistance, just the part of the people that are trying to live normal, beyond normal, like a, a 1% normal. Yeah. You know. I mean, we shot in Frank Sinatra's house the, the first uh, oh, season, which was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievably hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point, Eric. You guys it's, actually saw Frank Sinatra on a couple of those days. <laughs> I thought I did. I mean, um, it was, uh, yeah. You feel so young. <laughs> yeah, you make me feel so hot. <laughs> in not the right way. I remember the first scene I had to do up there. It was a two, three, maybe four pager. I came in on the third page, and I was meant to stand behind this bookcase, and it was all good, but it's a glass house. And we had one of those uh, air conditioning things, but we had the tiny one. You know, the little fella, not yeah. the big mum and shots yeah, one, right. but the, it wasn't doing anything. Even the grips were, like, stripping <laughs> down to their... <laughs> They're skippy. Yeah, I mean, great in there. <sighs> and that has the most beautiful pool you'll ever see. Yeah, and sparkling you just pool. Can't and you can't even look at it. Don't yeah. touch it. Yeah. 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 And I was standing behind a staircase, uh, bookcase, and I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be good. I'm in the shade. But of course, the scene went on and on and uh-huh. on. And the sun moved itself yeah. into a position where it was just shining right on, on me you. through a window. So I was under a magnifying glass. Yeah. By the time it came for me to roll into the scene, <laughs> oh, no. Just one of those. I Remember? totally threw like a loop by mentioning the heat, and you were saying something so poignant. No, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You have to absorb what the writers bring you. You can't fight, or it'll be stupid to. You know, you have to bring because that's what they want, or that's what's been decided. Mm-hmm. That's what the majority of them want. Whatever blood makes it its way through the writers' room door, you have to. You know, I mean, I I respect the position, uh, the level of authority, and it was actually really fun going to see Peter Jacobson in the previous episode. Yeah. Because when we did the rehearsal in the in the first season, Peter's all knotted out with the ties and all the stuff, right? So we came to do rehearsal for the scene in the warehouse, yeah. where, whatever it was, the the, the factory, or where was that? Not the factory. The, 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 the labor column. Labor, labor, labor yeah. column. Yeah, labor camp. So he came to do rehearsal wearing shorts and a polo shirt with like pizza stains on it <laughs> and I thought he was in wardrobe and I remember thinking oh how far they've fallen <laughs> I go this is great this is perfect he's really this is his character he's like cause he used to be oh, all now he's like hey and he was holding a bottle of this going yeah sure come on back I'll show you the stuff whatever you know I thought it would have been great if he had been yeah. that that far down. Pizza stain Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he actually played it like that. He was wearing his suit, but still played it like he had pizza stains on his underwear. Yeah. Like I mean, I think we're seeing it now, and uh, very much so, but I think it's easier to be ignorant and closed off from the world. I think it's safer, and it's less scary, and... Um, we tend to, as human beings, we really do take solace in surrounding ourselves in our own cocoon of lack of information or like-mindedness or whatever we choose to do. So she's definitely done that um, to an extreme, but an understandable extreme in an extreme world, yeah. you know. So, uh, yeah, I think it's completely understandable and relatable and I had no problem understanding why somebody would do that. Even when we were shooting it, and that was before this current time, yes. I totally understand now and know a lot of people that would much rather just 
not become involved and not fight because that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And um, are you making a tree drawing? I'm trying to correlate oh, like on a human level. Yeah, right now. Um, Colony sure. accidentally the most relevant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so I find it. I, I don't. It's not out of the realm of anything I would understand for all. And um, yeah. she doesn't have to compartmentalize as far as think about those poor people that are being shot in the head and gathered up and sent wherever because they could save themselves if they wanted to you know so you can really easily just kind of flip that switch and be like you know they had their shot and they just didn't choose to be part of the greatest day it's totally relatable to me well last note on the episode we'd be remiss in not mentioning that we find out what that drone countdown is you better get moving because there's no time and you really feel that by the end of the episode I mean, we'd read the screenwriting book in the off-season between the first and second about putting in a ticking clock. To summarize the website. So good. Yes, I mean, we we wanted to come out with a big mythological reveal, uh, and not at the end of the season, but midway yeah. through the season. The ship has exploded. We know that trouble is coming for Snyder and his camp. Will has realize that he's in an untenable situation with the special police and Katie and Broussard have worked together to reveal this giant secret kept within the occupation which is that the resource that the raps all came here for is us and we are not surviving up at the factory under the working conditions and they're burning through us like firewood as one of the characters says and it's going to come to an end and that end is not you know, 15 years away, it's it's two years away. So what is the truth? What's going to happen? What's next? Is there anything to be done about it? Are we all just waiting to die? I mean, those are the existential questions that the characters are going to be dealing with from, you know, here forward. Yeah. It's getting bleaker, folks. <laughs> but I can't thank you. <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> is it possible? Let's see. Is it's been a challenge. Uh, but uh, it's been a total joy to talk I'm to sure you here today. I'm sure it's all we're all happy and enjoying um, at least each other's company with this episode before we all die. So there we go. But, uh, yes. Can we once again thank Pringles, the greatest chip yes, owner? Yes, yeah, love, love Pringles. Pringles. Love Pringles. That can is absolutely it's, the right it's size. It's an engineering masterpiece. Exactly. There's no problem with it whatsoever. But, it's a miracle uh, of engineering. Is that what you just Adrian's said? hands exactly are two to three times the size of our president. Well, I mean, That's you simply cannot get that Aren't exactly. everybody's hands? I have a 12 For another episode, yeah. folks. Another episode, That's guys. not to get audited. The tiny, oh, the tiny hand versus the large hand. There we go. But uh, thank you so much, Adrian. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Ryan. And we will talk to yeah. you guys next time. Well, that was a really fun episode, and we're so glad that you were here to listen. So thank you. And as we're mid-season now, I want to thank my podcast production team. First, Colony co-producer Corey Bird, who has been just integral in getting us this wonderful list of guests every week. Also, our wonderful on-site audio engineer and co-producer, Paul Terry, and the fantastic podcast editor, Pa Duggan. Without all of them, we could not have this show. So we all hope you are enjoying it as much as we are putting it together. And if you do like it, please let us know that. Like it and subscribe on iTunes. And let us know what you think in terms of questions or things that you'd like us to ask in the future. We are planning on doing a listener mail episode soon. So leave us your questions for Ryan, Carlton, the cast, even the behind the scenes crew at the bottom of every weekly podcast post on Sci-Fi Wire. Or you can let us know what you think on the Colony Facebook or on Sci-Fi Wire's Facebook. 
And last but not least, I'm always on Twitter at my handle at Tara D. Bennett for any questions or comments you have about the podcast as well. And as usual, we thank you again for being with us and we can't wait for you to join us again next week.